Been moving differently, yeah. Feel like I've been through it all, yeah. Most of y'all bitches are hard, yeah. Some shit you wouldn't be bought, yeah. Had to learn to stop it. I ain't had no one to try, yeah. I can't do nothing with y'all, yeah. I'm on a mission, Ain't shit new. I move like I've been here before, yeah. Do what you don't, I be doing the most. Uh. I ain't fit no portion. Keep moving messy, ambition, my gosh, yeah. I move like I've been here before, yeah. Do what you don't, I be doing the most. Uh. I ain't fit no Porsche, keep moving messy and bitch, I'm a gosh. I don't move like I'm new here, feel like a resident. It's like I grew up here, I'm getting settled in. Wherever I'm stepping, bitch, I don't feel out of my element. Ain't shit new, I move like I've been here before. You see what I'm on, I'ma get with them all. Them bitch and my ghost, if a chick moving messy, I leave it alone. Just like the wedding, yeah. I call her Dasani, she got that water tsunami, yeah. Pull up to your BMs, you lie but defy me. I tried told you, I'm primal, I'm grimy. When it come to Punani, it's more in money. Might slide with your side piece beside me, don't try me, yeah. Suicide if you try me, ho, you got a posse, the ID, the body. Cause shit can get lively, we still moving tribal like this shit in the 90s, yeah. Gotta remind me, no, we on that hockey. Ain't shit new, I move like I've been here before. Yeah, do what you don't, I be doing the most. Uh, I ain't fit no Porsche, keep moving messy and bitch, I'm a gosh. Yeah. Uh, I move like I've been here before. Yeah, do what you don't, I be doing the most. Uh, I ain't fit no Porsche, keep moving messy and bitch, I'm a Did you think it would be a good idea to like just watch this video for both of us as well as the audience? Yep. Cool. In Sex at Dawn, my wife and co-author Casilda Jetta and I look at four major areas of data to try to triangulate what our species' sexual nature really is and, and what our sexual evolution was all about. We look at primates, particularly the chimps and bonobos, who are as closely related to humans or, or more closely related to humans than the Indian elephant is to the African elephant, for example, extremely close. We had a last common ancestor about five or six million years ago, which is the blink of an eye in evolutionary terms. We also look at anthropology, particularly hunter-gatherer societies that live in ways that replicate the way our ancestors lived before agriculture. We look at human anatomy and physiology, so the body, why are the testicles outside of the body, why do women have pendulous breasts, what's going on with the acidity of the female reproductive tract uh, during orgasm, all these sorts of issues, what's the chemistry of uh, different spurts of uh, ejaculate in men. And finally, we look at uh, contemporary psychosexual research, so things like um, what sorts of Sexual issues do um, couples often present with at a therapist's office? What sorts of um, sexual obsessions do people have? What sorts of uh, pornography turn people on or, or not? So when you look at the question of human sexual evolution and human sexual nature from those four different perspectives, you see a species that has evolved to be extremely sexual, where sexual behavior has been co-opted over the course of our evolutionary history for social functions. It's not even primarily about reproduction anymore. For human beings, sex is primarily about establishing and maintaining complex social networks that are based upon trust and intimacy. That's what sex is really mainly about for our species. You can just look at the numbers. The way the numbers break down are that, uh, you know, for most mammals, they only have sex when the female's ovulating, which makes sense. Why would you have sex 
if there's no chance of pregnancy happening, right? For most mammals, uh, sex is risky. There are predators around. You're making noise. You're not being vigilant. You're, you're preoccupied with something else. You're very distracted. You could fall out of a tree. You could get uh, bit by a snake. You could have ants crawl up your butt. All sorts of terrible things could happen. So you're not going to engage in sexual activity unless there's something to be gained, something that's worth taking that risk and uh, using that energy. But for human beings, we have sex when the female's not ovulating. We have same-sex encounters. We have sex when the female's already pregnant. We have sex when she's postmenopausal, when she's lactating and therefore not ovulating. We have all sorts of uh, sexual configurations and activities that can't possibly result in pregnancy. That's pretty unusual for most mammals. Uh, if you look at gorillas, for example, which are the next closest primate relative after chimps and bonobos, gorillas have sex roughly 12 to 15 times per birth. That's a pretty typical ratio of sex acts to birth for, or to conception for mammals. For humans, it's somewhere up around 800 to 1,000 times per birth. We're way off the charts. People who say we describe humans in ways that make us seem like animals are getting it backwards. Animals rarely have sex for non-reproductive purposes. The only exceptions to this are chimps, bonobos, humans, very closely related, and dolphins, which is very interesting. All of those are highly social, highly intelligent animals for whom the social network is crucial to their survival. Just among primates, there are over 300 species of primate. Many, many species of primate live in complex social groups, which means more than one adult male living in that group. Of those primates living in complex social groups, precisely none are sexually monogamous, unless you believe that humans are the sole exception to that. In Sex at Dawn, we argue against what we call the standard narrative of human sexual evolution, which claims that humans evolved as monogamous couples where the woman was trading her fidelity to the male in exchange for meat, uh, protection, shelter, status, and so on. This argument, which goes back to Darwin and, and beyond in some ways, really is insulting to everybody. It, it basically is an economic argument that reduces women to whores and men to johns, paying for sex with stuff. We argue that this is a, a result of what we call Flintstoneization, which is the habit we all have of looking at the world around us, assuming that that's pretty much always the way it's been, and then projecting contemporary conditions into prehistory and just rough up the edges a little bit. So, uh, you know, the Flintstones, people have cars, but you have to make the car run with your feet instead of an engine. You know, you've got the doorbell, but it's a bird, you pull the tail and so on. And we think that Similar things happen in a lot of the discussion about human prehistory. It makes no sense to assume that humans evolved in nuclear family units. That's not how hunter-gatherers live today. That's not how any hunter-gatherer society that's ever been studied lives, with discrete nuclear family dwellings where resources are only shared within the family. In fact, what we find in hunter-gatherer societies is that resources are shared widely. Children are raised communally. Food is shared, especially meat is shared uh, widely. Women have very high status. They bring home more of the calories than the men do. So there's no reason to believe that men were in a position to coerce women and control their sexuality. This didn't happen until the advent of agriculture. If you look at the Old Testament, it says, thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's wife. Read it in context and you'll see that's not talking about his marriage. That's talking about his possessions. Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's wife, nor his house, nor his ox, nor his slaves, etc. The wife is just another one of his possessions. 
That's not how hunter-gatherers see relationships. That's not how hunter-gatherers see women or children. These people aren't owned by other people. In fact, there's very little sense of private property in hunter-gatherer societies. So what we're arguing in Sex at Dawn is that sexual pleasure was part of the larger social fabric in which pretty much everything is shared widely. This is the way our species has dealt with sexuality for the vast majority of its time on this planet. The sorts of possessiveness and, and coercion that we see today are relatively recent aberrations in human social organization. All this naturally leads to the question, well, what does this mean for me? What does this mean for marriage? What does this mean for my relationship? Honestly, it doesn't really mean much in terms of uh, how you should behave. What it tells us is that it's natural to feel certain things. It's natural to have desires for other people. Uh, there's no way to avoid that for most human beings. And we shouldn't beat ourselves up about that. And we shouldn't uh, uh, take those desires as an indictment of our relationship. The fact that your partner and you are both attracted to other people doesn't mean there's something wrong with your relationship or there's something wrong with your partner or there's something wrong with you. All it means is that you're human beings. So let's all relax a little bit and accept that that's the baseline. That's the kind of animal we are. Now, what we choose to do with that information is completely up to us. This information is no more an indictment of monogamy than it's an indictment of uh, vegetarianism to say that we're omnivores. Look at us. We're omnivores. Look at the, the chimps and the bonobos and the other primates who are similar to us genetically. They're also omnivores. Their teeth are like ours. Their, their saliva chemistry is like ours. Their digestive system is like ours. So we look at all that information and we say, well, okay, we've also evolved to be omnivores. That doesn't mean you can't be a vegetarian. Of course you can. It doesn't mean that there's anything wrong with being a vegetarian. That could be a superior way for you to live. It could be great for your health. It could be great for your pocket book. It could be ethically superior. That's completely up to you. All I'm saying is just because you've decided to be a vegetarian doesn't mean that suddenly bacon stops smelling good. It's still going to smell good. You're still going to be tempted because of the animal that you are. And you're going to be more successful in controlling your behavior and designing your relationships the way you want them to be if you're open and honest and you acknowledge that this is the kind of animal that we are. This is the kind of animal you're forming your relationship with. Start from that. Start from an accurate expectation of what sort of creature you are, and you'll have much more success in trying to control your behavior and shape your relationship in ways that make sense for you. All right, so that's that. So before we get into the book and everything regarding sex and sexuality and monogamy uh first can you tell my audience who you are and how we met and anything else you <laughs> want to include um okay i'm Corey. i live in chapel hill north carolina and i make garnet through my cousin um my cousin's wedding so Yep, and that was back in June, early June, so I've known you for, for a while. <laughs> yep. And Garnet made me read this book within two weeks. So, I did not uh, make you read the book. Don't, uh, <laughs> don't judge me too much. I, you know, I just got two weeks worth of uh, this entire book, so. <laughs> what did you think? I thought it was very interesting. I thought it was very insightful. Um. The way it was laid out in the beginning, like I thought, you know, in the beginning it was kind of 
um, in a ritualistic a little bit. Um, but then I in think what way? Is, well, that's, that's just part of the, it seemed like this, the same story went over and over, but that's a part of the anthropology of the book. Um, the book's like divided into three different parts. So you've got the anthropology part and then you've got the, the main meat of, of, you know, um, it's kind of neat how he, he, mind, he sets it up. I read about how he sets it up too. Very beginning is about the anthropology. Then the middle part kind of dwells into the anthropology, into the biology part of it. And then the end of the book is the biology. Because I read it, I kind of, I was trying to figure out like, okay, well, this guy set this book up in three different parts. So how is the parts different from one another? So it's kind of like, I don't know, I'm more of a biological, biological background. So I kind of dwelled into the biology part of it mainly. But um, I know that you were really interested in the very beginning of the book as well. You were. <laughs> Yeah, no, I just, I think I look at things from more of like a big picture perspective and mm -hmm. you like, you're more digging into the evidence yeah. type of a person. Yeah, yeah. But, um, um, but what was your overall, I guess, what did you come away with? What did you take away from the book? Mainly, you know, they did, they did talk about, um, like me, um, and promiscuity, I mean, polygamy and promiscuity are two different things. Um, that was one of the, the things that was kind of eye-opening to me. Um, promiscuity and, and what? Promiscuity and polygamy. There's, oh, there's a difference yeah. between just being polygamous and being promiscuous. There's two differences. I mean, two differences. I mean, you've got polygamy, which is, it's a careful approach to relationships and then you've got promiscuity which is just mainly like sex just 24 7 with strangers you know so there's two different well it's not strangers though well either. it's not strangers but 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 it's mainly promiscuity is, is you're not being as, as careful as you should be when you're promiscuous when you're in a polygamous relationship i believe that you have to be a little bit more careful with who you're with um that kind of a thing and you might not i mean if you disagree you tell me why <laughs> yeah i'm about to um yeah so i don't feel like those things are even related like but they're treated i mean they're two opposites is what i'm saying no you think promiscuous is like a they're not even it's like comparing apples to oranges promiscuity is like a way of being like you're promiscuous right and then like polygyny or polygamy is like a structure like a way that marriage is structured or a way that a social group is structured like the way that people marry in certain groups but like one like i think Polygamy is pretty much like one male and multiple women, whereas promiscuity is multi-male and multi-female. Yeah, so it's like a free-for-all. Yeah, but it's within a, within a tribe or a society, so it's not like you don't know the people that you're with. He even says, if promiscuity suggests a number of ongoing non-exclusive sexual relationships, then yes, our ancestors were far more promiscuous than all of 
all of us. But on the other hand, if we uh, understand promiscuity to refer to a lack of discrimination in choosing partners or having sex with random strangers, then our ancestors were likely far less promiscuous than many of us. So yes, they were having sex way more often. And it was non-exclusive, but they knew the people that they were with because they were all in the same tribe versus like the random strangers today. Like if you're referring to promiscuous in that way, then we're more promiscuous than they were. Yeah. Okay. But promiscuous, I think the way that they're saying it is just like acting on your horniness, (laughs) which there's like, he's saying there's nothing wrong with that. And especially the way we developed, like it was natural. They shared sex in the way that they shared food. So, in this book, do you believe that you can separate love and sex? Yeah, I mean, I don't... I don't think... I think, again, that's like comparing apples to oranges again. Like, they don't really have anything to do with each other at all. I think that's a mistake of our culture. Why? What do you think? I mean, I would think that sex would be a little bit better if you're more in love with something or someone, um, or you share your love with somebody a little bit more. I guess with women, it's more we're more emotional than we are. You know, even it's it says in the book that you know men are hardwired to just they're not as emotional. Like a man will get upset if some you know they're in a monogamous relationship with their wife like had sex with somebody a woman would be more upset about the emotional attachment that the man gets with the woman right yeah it says it does say something along those lines sure like uh basically why you know in the 1800s and sort of that culture it was okay it was like okay for a man to have sex with a prostitute as long as he wasn't having sex with like a woman of the same social status as his wife because then she would get jealous and be like oh he's gonna leave me but if he's just having sex with a prostitute then no, no big deal yeah which is yeah. kind of funny today i don't think that's the, <laughs> necessarily the case but it yeah. was yeah um that and then also being in monogamous relationships from you know like um it was talking about um marriage and, and everything else and, and the divorce how the divorce rates what 50% but that's only the people that actually get out of divorces and they're miserable for the rest of their lives pretty much um but then you know it's it's there was one quote that I that resonated was what we were told we feel and what we really feel and and that's one of the you know one of the things that resonated with me um would you read half the quote (laughs) What are you talking about? The conflict between what we're told and what we're told we feel and what we really feel may be the richest source of confusion, dissatisfaction, and unnecessary suffering. What's he referring to? What? What is he referring to? What is what we think we feel and what is what we really feel? What you really feel is like when you're in a, you know, a relationship or you're married or whatever, is that you feel that you're, I mean, you'd agree with me you get bored after a while you know you get bored with things after a while and you want to see what you know other you just want more out of life I mean 
So, I mean, what you we're told how we how we should act, should feel being in a monogamous relationship versus us being promiscuous, not promiscuous, but us actually going out. Well, you could say promiscuous in in the more, uh, I mean, in either term, really. I think I think the reason that we're promiscuous in the like random strangers way in today's world is because we lack the tribe. And we lack the understanding that sex could be like a communal social thing to to like improve relationships amongst each other within a community setting. But we don't have a community setting now. So we're just replacing that with cheating, and which we, we call it cheating because we're treating marriage as a game, which like it kind of is because we made it that way, which is kind of dumb too, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I know. I completely agree with you. Um, I mean, there's, there's, and also talking, going back to marriage, I mean, there's like, you know, you can have a spiritual ceremony without the government being involved. Um, why, I mean, why do you need a legal agreement for, to be involved or, you know, why, why do you need well, a license to be married? In the there's first that. Place? There's but, I mean, that. I mean, the, <laughs> Maybe I'm getting off topic. Okay. So go no, ahead. No, 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 you're on no, you're on point, but I was just gonna take it a step further. Like, you know, he talks about like the sperm competition, you know. It's like we believe that like men are supposed to like compete for the exclusivity of one woman. But like a lot of ancient cultures, they just let the women have sex with as many men as they want to and let the sperm compete to become, you know the one that fertilizes the egg and that way all the men are happy because they've all had sex and like socially everybody's more laid back and like everything's chiller and then like paternity isn't as big of a worry like all of them are going to take care of the kid you know the whole community is taking care of kids anyway yeah but it depends on if it's their child or not what do you mean no no, it doesn't (laughs) that's the that's exactly what i just said it does today though it does today why Okay, so if you have a single mother, right, and they have a child, say nine years. Oh no, I know, I know exactly what you're saying. Now a man is not going to want to take care of that child because it's not his child, and that's also what was in the book as well. I mean, I'm not talking about. Yeah, but I'm I'm talking about more recent times, not. I know, but when I said why, I didn't mean for you to describe what I was already agreeing with you with. I was saying why is it like that? Because we've agreed to allow it to be like that. Yeah, we have. Yep. So um, that and, and also, how can you love somebody else at the same time, but not 100% with the same intensity? Mm-hmm. How can you love? So you have three people, right, that you're talking to. Mm-hmm. How can you love all three of them the same amount? I don't think you can quantify love to begin with. I think if yeah, you I are mean, love, I mean, and you, I think if you are love, which we are, and you reflect that in the way that you speak and the way that you act, it's not about I'm giving this much love to this person and this much love to this. It's you're sharing love 100% of the time. Like you are love. So just like, it's not a quantifiable thing. You're just blessing everybody with your presence all the time. And they, and like, 
Yeah, but in terms of the intensity, I mean, the intensity of love. You can't give 100% love to three different people. The intensity. Because it's just, it's emotionally for women, I don't see that ever. I, I don't understand how that happens. I mean, it wouldn't happen with me. Why not? Because there's a certain intensity. I mean, you kind of like, you know, there's there's certain just intensities to how you feel about different people. I mean, do you seriously think that, you know, if you were with three different people that you would feel that same intensity in all three different people and the same emotional connection, same emotional trust, all that? I mean, it kind of depends on a lot of other factors. Yeah. I mean, I guess it depends on how you get along with the person, how you uh, communicate with them, um, that, and and also bringing up the the um, I guess the jealousy part of it, mm-hmm. the emotional part, yeah. So. Yeah, like jealousy has no nothing to do with love. Jealousy is actually the opposite of love. So, like any partner that feels jealous is already making the connection less intense. It's like, I'm, I might not be taking away my love, but you're taking away love from the relationship by being jealous. So it's not my lack of it's love or lack of intensity so. based on false, based on lies, based on a worldview that expects people to be something that they're not. Yeah, I get that. Um, well, what else resonated with you in the book? Um, there was a lot. So, <laughs> um, right from the beginning, he says, "Like we are apes." You know, I think a lot of a lot of the faulty parts are like foundation. A lot of uh, a lot of what's faulty with the found very foundation of um, our culture's worldview, and when I say our culture, I mean ninety nine percent of the world's population, like mm-hmm. every non and like East and West, pretty much non every every non hunter gathering group, you know, mm-hmm. and hunter gatherer indigenous groups are less way less than one percent of the world population. So, <clears throat> basically, all of humanity. But I I re- I refrain from using the word humanity because for most of humanity we didn't live in this fucked up way um but because when we started living in this fucked up way mentally we started to separate ourselves from nature and from animals and like ultimately we are apes so he starts out right from the jump like reminding us that we are apes like it's not that we're you know like a great ape or like some you know we didn't descend from apes we are apes um and so, like, he says, you know, how we study chimpanzees and bonobos to, um, you know, find out things about our ancient past, like, when it comes to basically every other aspect of life. But when it comes to sex, we insist that we're monogamous, you know, that we're different. Mm-hmm. Um, and he explains, like, how agriculture was a big key in that shift in worldview, because instead of... um you know, private property becomes a thing. We start, you know, handing down our inheritance to um, our children. And so, um, 
that that kind of sowed the seeds for a lot of what we see in today's world um with basically treating sex as another commodity rather than um, a natural part of our beings um he talks about you know philosophically and anthropologically our insistence to like mold everything into monogamy even when the evidence like goes against that you know Mm -hmm. um just like with the givens of being in isolation you know that that's that's the only monogamous and they're the the only the only monogamous ape yep Um, the only the the only monogamous ape since you know genetically from us um Mm -hmm. and that's why you know also solitary confinement he actually brought that up as well um is like a punishment because i mean you know um it does say in the book no creature wants to be threatened by death to act in accord with their own nature um gibbons are the most monogamous ape as they are not social live in trees and they're they are the furthest you know from us genetically um so we're like more like you know i know that we're they're, we're closest to the bonobos but then you've got the the gibbons who are completely opposite of what we are but yet society now is more like that so it's 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 kind of like going away against you know what what we should be you know yep um yeah they're the only they only have infrequent reproduction only sex and so like pretty much the only animals he said in the little video like the only animals that have sex for pleasure are um chimps bonobos us and dolphins and and none of those are monogamous unless you believe us which mm-hmm. is again another lot like a lie that we've been telling ourselves for a long time is actually making us crazy for real um yeah the promiscuity one was actually one i had highlighted but we already talked about that a little bit mm-hmm. um yeah uh let's see so what did you think about the part where he explains how um you know women are actually much more promiscuous than they're made out to be according to this false narrative of you know the human female sexual fidelity and and that sort of that part of the story you talking about like where they did the lie detecting test and everything on women that's one of the yeah just one that's one example for sure but that whole idea yeah um I believe that. I mean, I believe that, you know, women are attracted to just specific people rather than their gender. I mean, that was one of the one of the tests that came up positive about the way women, it's like women with women, but not men with men. Um, how women are, are more, we're more, but we're more attracted to specific people and the way they are emotionally than we are to other to men men rather just see men do not want to see other men unless you know they they have that lifestyle but you know women with women but then men rather see the women than men they they get turned on a little bit more by seeing women and then women it doesn't differentiate anything differentiates pretty much that women are attracted to just the people themselves doesn't matter if it's a man or a woman 
and not only that they were aroused by regardless of what they said on the lie detector on the you know written down part of the test the electrodes or whatever was measuring like their like blood flow or whatever mm-hmm. they were aroused by any type of sex man on yeah. man man on a woman woman yeah. on, like but by bonobo on bonobo whereas yeah. men were you know gay men were aroused by like gay men having sex and yeah. straight men were aroused by like man on woman or woman on woman that was pretty much it you know yeah yeah um whereas women were turned on by any any sex at all (laughs) um i was just looking for a few other of the um ideas and quotes in here he's definitely like talking about agricultural agriculture being um like the the start of our downfall pretty much yeah because Um, you're starting to own shit I mean, you're starting to own things, you know, so you, mm-hmm. you know, you're starting to own. And, and that ends up, and that ends slaves, up extending into, women. Yeah, that, you're starting yep. to own, you know, mm-hmm. your women themselves, um, you know, and mm-hmm. then there was a, there was a part in there also, like, almost about, like, it was kind of like almost handmaid's tale. Oh, here we go. Here we information go. Information that was, no. you know, go ahead. No other animal spends more of its allotted time on Earth fussing over sex than Homo sapiens. Not even the famously libidinous, libin, libidinous bonobo. Although we and the bonobo or bonobo both average well into the hundreds, if not thousands, of acts of intercourse per birth, way ahead of any other primate, their acts are far briefer than ours. Pair-bonded monogamous animals are almost always hyposexual, having sexes often as the Vatican recommends, infrequently, quietly, and for reproduction only. Human beings, regardless of religion, are at the other end of the spectrum, hypersexuality personified. So, you know, the reason I like uh, highlighted that part is um, he he kind of alluded to it for a, like a quick second in the video. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when people think about like, our sexual nature a lot of times they're like oh we're animals or like you know when they refer to like a man cheating on their woman oh he's an animal that's actually like way off you know like animals actually only have sex for reproduction humans Mm -hmm. i would say they're special but outside of dolphins chimpanzees and bonobos we're not like any of the other animals um outside of those like i said four species in that we do have sex for pleasure. We have sex for pretty much any other reason aside from uh, reproduction, you know, for social status purposes or whatever, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, pleasure. Um, there's there's many different reasons across different cultures that some might shock people in our culture, but it is like that, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I mean, agriculture, the revolution of agriculture just did make, it did mess everything up, I think, Um, just mainly just owning, like, you know, like I said, owning women, owning slaves, owning all the livestock and everything else. Um, It was even, like, I think there was a mess, I think there was a part in the book about how they would feed the chimpanzees and stuff, and once they were able to get this food at a certain time, they started fighting over the food because they, they knew that uh, it was going to be there at a certain time, yeah. And so 
that's kind of like the ownership, you know, that's kind of like how, how things started to plan out. If you understand what I'm saying. Yeah. You once know, we were able to start storing food. A little bit better than I, I am, but yeah. Yeah, no, I see what you're saying because the the experiment you're referring to is like the Jane Goodall experiment um, back in the 60s when they first started yes. publishing findings about like the social behavior of chimpanzees and comparing that to humans. Um, but he was saying that like a lot of what was left out about these studies was like the chimpanzees actually started acting way differently once they realized that there was a set amount of food at a certain spot every day and they didn't have to go out and gather it themselves and share it in the way that they may have used to. Um, so this may, the, just the way that the human researchers were acting with, um, interacting with these chimpanzees probably skewed the results of the study. Mm -hmm. um, and part of mm -hmm. the way that, that, that it ended up being skewed um, is actually a pretty good analogy to what happened to humans in the post-agricultural world where we were able to start storing food versus um, you know, having to go out and get it, which would encourage sharing because if you get a, a big amount, you're going to want to share with others so that you have more people to search for more food. Because if you don't give share it, then they're going to starve or they're going to be mad at you. Mm -hmm. But if you do share it, it actually benefits you to share it. You know what I mean? Because it's going to go bad anyway if you don't, because there's no way to store your food. Um, so, um, but there was another passage here I mentioned, I briefly mentioned, um, and people might not really understand what I was talking about there, but there's a lot of ancient cultures which practiced, um, and they might not have thought about it in this way, but what the author describes as like sperm competition. Mm -hmm. um, so they weren't worried about paternity at all. Um, in fact, he describes it a little bit here. He says, far from being enraged at having, and he's talking about like a, a father or a, what may be, may, have, may be a father, like somebody that had sex with a woman, but he's not sure if it's his kid because she's having sex with a lot of guys. He's like, far from being enraged at having his genetic legacy called into question, a man in these societies is likely to feel gratitude to other men for pitching in to help and create and in care for a stronger baby. Far from be being blinded by jealousy, as the standard narrative predicts, men in these societies find themselves bound to one another by shared paternity for the children they've fathered together. As Beckerman explains in the worst case scenario, this system may provide extra security for the child. You know that if you die, there's some other man who has a residual obligation to care for at least one of your children. So looking the other way or even giving your blessing when your wife takes a lover is the only insurance you can buy. No, that's just like one example, but he goes on to talk about other examples of why it might be better to, rather than, you know, in this world, have men compete for the love of a woman, actually letting all of the men have access to that woman and letting their sperm compete to be the daddy, you know, mm -hmm. um, because bodies are the ones that actually decide. Which from yes, that's yeah. I was gonna, I'll let you. I'll let you take over this biology. You know, there yeah. there are women do have anti-sperm leukocytes, and so it's like the woman's body knows which sperms is going to be best for them. You know, yeah, the body knows the healthiest exactly baby. Which ones are be the best so you want to put as many different else. types of sperm in there. Yep. Um, Ideally, so you know, the, the there's also the immunity to pathogens, um, different immunities between parents, um, broader, better immunity for the offspring if there's you know. You know, you have got it's like relative. Um, so here's the book. You should get it if you're watching this. Yeah. 
Um, yeah, and, and also there's a part in there that was about birth control, um, how genetic matches when natural, normal hormones and the ovulation process. Like, you know, a lot of women, when they're on birth control, they don't ovulate. Um, you can be years and years and years on birth control. You don't ovulate. Get married. Decide to have children. Get off birth control. Completely different. Completely different scenario as to how you're, you know, how you and your... Like the chemical partner, makeup? Yes. Yeah, the pheromones. Well, how you and yeah, your so what you're talking each other afterwards because you're not... Your your hormones are actually being you know you're you're actually ovulating and and everything's different between how you perceive each other. Not only that, the birth control itself changes your chemical makeup, which yeah. changes the way that you receive the pheromones of men. Yeah. So when you're on birth control, you might have a certain chemical makeup that attracts you to this certain guy. Yeah. Then you and go then you off the birth it. control. <laughs> get pregnant but then once you're off the birth control some time passes and your chemical makeup goes back to its natural state and you realize that you're not attracted to that guy mm -hmm. or you know the chemical makeup of your body isn't compatible with his sperm or whatever it may be the case you know mm -hmm. but just like on a natural pheromonal whatever you want to call that level like y'all aren't a match the only reason you were is because you were on some bullshit you know their their birth control pills are really negative. Um, I was on. I got a couple other time. things I want to read. So, were you? Did you have something else? No, no. Okay. So he's got a couple other passages here that I highlighted. He says, think about that. No group living non-human primate is monogamous, and adultery has been documented in every human culture studied, including those in which fornicators are routinely stoned to death. Yeah. So he says, in light of all this bloody retribution, it's hard to see how monogamy comes naturally to our species. Why would so many risk their reputations, families, careers, even presidential legacies for something that runs against human nature? Were monogamy an ancient evolved trait characteristic of our species, as the standard narrative insists, these ubiquitous transgressions would be infrequent and such horrible enforcement unnecessary. No creature needs to be threatened with death to act mm -hmm. in accordance with its own nature. Mm -hmm. Boom, period. Mm -hmm. Mic drop. And then another one that I want to just follow up. He says, the standard narrative is founded upon the belief that the exchange of protein and protection for assured paternity was the best way to increase the odds of a child's survival to reproductive age. Survival of offspring is, after all, the primary engine of natural selection as described by Darwin and subsequent theorists. But what if risk to offspring were, offspring were mitigated more effectively by behavior that encouraged the opposite arrangement? What if rather than one man agreeing to share his meat, protection, and the status and status with a particular woman and her child, sharing were generalized? What if group-wide sharing offered a more effective approach to the risks our ancestors encountered in the prehistoric world? And in light of these risks, what if paternity uncertainty were more beneficial to the child's chances of survival as more men would take an interest in him or her? Something to think about. Um, but so overall, like, well, do you think like after reading this that monogamy is natural? Mm -hmm. It's hard to think that, right? Yeah. Yeah, especially the way that you were raised as well 
being monogamous, being also in religion, how, you know, it speaks about monogamy. Um, you're just conditioned to live that way. But then, I don't know the percentage. I know it was in the book about the divorce rate, which was. It's over half, at least. So. It's more, you know, it, it, it says half, but. They said, I mean, I, I did look a little bit more into that, and they did say it was pretty much 75%. Now, but like the fact is 75%. that 75% 50 people so, so 50% of relationships do end in divorce, but then you've got 75% of people that are unhappy. So, there is that percentage that people just stick with it because that's how they're raised, that's how they think. They don't think, you know, they think it's better. I guess to, to hang in there because they they they're conditioned to think well that's how it's supposed to be. I was just flipping through here and it looks like he has a direct response to your question from earlier. He says, "Is it so very obvious that you can't love more than one person? We seem to manage it with parental love. Parents are reproached if they don't <laughs> at least pretend to love all of their children equally." We can do it with love of books. We can do it with love of food. We can do it lo with love of wine, love of composers, poets, holiday beaches, friends. Why is erotic love the one exception that everybody instantly acknowledges without even thinking about it? Yeah. Makes it. Makes a pretty good point. I'm just saying, makes yeah. a pretty good point. I don't know. I'm like, I'm really into the hands means too. Um, I read the book, watched every, you know, every single episode that they had of it, and there are parts of the book that actually that actually occurred. Um, they would have the women that were slaves um, have sex for the upper class women. And their children would go to the upper class women. And um, that was also just a part of the book that was kind of interesting. Um, I, I can't elaborate on that part that much, though, but. Um, I mean, with women, I think there was a lot. Women have a lot of emotional involvement in this this polygamy um, issue, um, matriarchy. Why do you um, keep saying polygamy? Because it's polygamous. We're talking what, about what monogamy and polygamy, right? No. Yeah, but women are very emotional when it comes to polygamy. You Do keep you know? bringing up polygamy. The book hardly talks about it at all. Yes, it does. No, it doesn't. The book argues against polygamy. It just says it. I mean, it doesn't argue against it, but it says it it's as unnatural. It. Yeah. It says but... it's as unnatural as monogamy. It's just another structure that's unnatural. But he hardly talks about it because it's like not very popular. He talks mostly about monogamy and how that's unnatural. The few times he mentions polygamy, he says it's unnatural. The only thing that's natural is multi-male, multi-female mating. What are you going to say, though, like outside of the polygamy stuff? Like, unless you're trying to talk about polygamy, 
because then otherwise like there's nothing really to talk about because he like i think we might even agree on that like well, I, mean, the, I don't, I don't okay. think there's anything even even now positive now, from that <laughs> there's yeah, nothing positive about polygamy well there's nothing positive about monogamy to me yeah but you're a polygamist aren't you what are you deaf are you no. okay are you yeah, like I'm comprehending okay. what i'm saying yes i am comprehending what you're saying but you're not a monogamous so what's the opposite of a monogamous it's like there's not an opposite they're not they, they don't go hand in hand though they kind of do how in both in both situations it's either it's either one man with one woman or one man with multiple women it's still like from the man's perspective but one man with a, multiple women is blameless okay but it's like it's stupid it's still like it's not the opposite like you are way off track by thinking that, that at all. Like that has nothing to do with the book. It has nothing to do with me. It's it barely has anything to do with our history as as human beings. There's been a few failed societies that tried it, like Brigham Young, but for the most part, they're like a blip. Monogamy is a real challenge. Monogamy is the is the standard lie. <laughs> but we're not built to be monogamous. Exactly. We're built to be promiscuous, not polygamous. That's like a, there's a big difference there. There's not even they're not even in the same ballpark. That's apples and oranges. You're denying the woman. Again, you're denying yourself. Like monogamy and polygamy are both ideas centered around uh individual male champion. Like what about the woman? What about her promiscuity? Okay. There's also a section of the book that says sex wasn't, well, it's the rose quote, that sex was an expression of friendship. In Africa, it was like holding hands. It was friendly and fun. There was no concern. It was offered willingly. Mm -hmm. I did like this chapter about economics um, as somebody that like minored in economics. And I kind of like a lot of people who know me or grew up with me know that like I'm kind of, I look at things that way. <laughs> and um, I'm not going to read like the whole chapter or like even discuss the whole chapter, but there's this one part here that I think is important. He says, when the Berlin Wall came down, jubilant capitalists announced that the essential flaw of communism had been its failure to account for human nature. Yes and no. Marx's fatal error was his failure to appreciate the importance of context. Human nature functions one way in the context of intimate, interdependent societies. But set loose in anonymity, we become a different creature. Neither beast is nor more or less human. So he's basically saying human in a tribal um, hunter-gatherer setting is going to act and behave differently than a human in a dystopian capitalist uh, consumer-driven uh, 
insane asylum world that we live in today. Mm -hmm. um, so Marx's failure, according to him, is is not um, contextualizing his ideas in uh, in a, in a tribe. Essentially, in a in a group setting of 150 people or less, where everybody knows everybody, mm -hmm. uh, his ideas don't work in large groups. Communism mm -hmm. has failed every time it's been tried, except in small tribal settings. Mm -hmm. um, so again, uh, so yeah, um, did I did I help you? Clear, did I clear up the whole like different this um, discernment between polygamy and promiscuity for you, or like not even promiscuity, but just like it's it's hard because they didn't have a name for it, right? Like yeah. it was just natural for them, like to have sex yeah. with other members of your tribe to make them happy <laughs> and to make yourself happy. And like, who knows who the dad is, but it doesn't matter because we're all raising him anyway, or her, you know? Yeah. And like, it's going to be the strongest possible baby because she's had sex with every man in the, every possible, like, you know, sex, sexually aged man in the tribe. And whichever sperm matches up best with her egg is going to be the one that wins. And that's going to be a strong ass baby because he had a lot of fucking competition in there. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. There's just a couple of passages here. We've already touched on these, but I just want to kind of read them because um, they align with some things that we've said. So he says the origins of human behavior. <laughs> when we study the origins of human behavior, we look to chimps and bonobos for important clues. Language, tool use, political alliances, war, reconciliation, and altruism. But when it comes to sex, we prudishly turn away from these models to the distantly related antisocial low IQ, but monogamous given. <laughs> uh, and then he also says before the war on drugs, the war on terror, the war on cancer, there was the war on female sexual desire. Mm -hmm. It's a war that has been raging for longer than any other and its victims number well into the billions by now. Like the others, it's a war that can never be won as the declared enemy is a force of nature. We may as well declare war on the cycles of the moon. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, did you want to talk about that a little bit? I wanted you to talk about that. You kind of avoided that. How women <laughs> want to have sex all the time and they act like they don't. Repeat that question, sorry. <laughs> How women want to have sex all the time, but they pretend like they don't. We don't. I don't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You would know. Um <laughs> you know to edit that one out. Um or not. <laughs> but you're like literally lying again. Like why? Like what is it? Is it like a religious thing? Is it a brainwash thing? Are y'all like made to lie to yourselves? Like oh, because y'all even lied on the test. Y'all were turned on by every sexual act, period, and y'all tried to tell yourselves you weren't. Well, you know, I guess we are. You know, we are. 
I mean, I remember when we were driving down to Georgia and you were going over this part of the book. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, we, we are. <laughs> yeah. So um, what do you think about that? Like, why do y'all lie to yourselves? Why do we lie? Mm-hmm. I mean, because you're lying to yourself. Women. We're ultimately. supposed to be like soft. We're supposed to be emotional. We're not supposed to be thinking about sex. But what is supposed to be? We're supposed to be sweet and soft and kind. What is supposed to be? Quote unquote, what is conditioned supposed to be? They we're conditioned to be like that. <laughs> why? Because we're women. But why? Like, why did y'all allow yourself to be? Why did you allow yourself to be? Because we're suppressed. Different than what you are. Because that's just what we are. We're emotionally reserved. Why? No, you're not. You you're taught to be, but you're not actually. We're taught to be that way. We're conditioned to be that way. That's why. Mm-hmm. That's why? Why do you allow your like? Why like? Okay. Well, let's just say okay. It's been ingrained for so long. So I'll just give everybody, all of the ladies in this generation, a pass. Okay, but <laughs> generations and generations and generations ago, why did y'all? agree to this lying to yourself shit because we're controlled by men mm, but why did y'all allow yourselves to, to do that to be controlled by men because we were no longer we never no longer served a purpose when agriculture came about mm. right hmm Right? No, you're getting somewhere. You no, you are. You are getting no. This I mean, is this that. is good. This is good. Like that's what that's the that's the such the importance of balance is like instead of fighting, you know, instead of masculine and feminine fighting against each other and creating fucking chaos and havoc for both sides, like cooperating would make both sides stronger. But instead, like we always like battle over patriarchy, matriarchy, and so like it's like now we're supposed to be complementing each other, and like. Behind every patriarchy is the evil bitches that are really running it. And behind every matriarchy is the evil men that are actually running it. Because they're the ones that are, like, controlling those high-status women that are the face of matriarchy. You know what I mean? But both are just as imbalanced as the other, you know? Um, He talks about that one society in, like, Tibet or Southeast Asia where it's, like, they don't even there's no such thing as a dominant gender like they complement each other and that's how they think of it and they've never like gotten they've had pressure from the china from chinese so like finally like they're giving into some of that bullshit and they're becoming less happy but they were like one of the happiest societies ever recorded for most of their history and it's because they were multi-male multi-female yeah But I just want to wrap up like this point with like your thoughts on like, you know, so I said all that kind of like rooted in like women's sexual prowess and how y'all repress it based on like the way y'all have been taught or like societies. You know, he does talk about like all of the different practices, you know, he said these are not just ancient crazy practices, like even the World Health Organization um, says that they estimate up to 100 million women have like mutilated gen- genitalia in one way, one shape, form, or the other. 
um, due to this uh, like worldwide cultural aversion to female promiscuity mm-hmm. or you know the female sexual desire whatever you want to call that yeah um i mean i personally think that the world would be a much better place if we just let y'all have as much sex as y'all want <laughs> maybe i'm <laughs> radical for thinking that what are your thoughts um i think if we actually let men and women have sex as much as they want we would find out that men are not the ones that are thinking about it all the time. We're not the <laughs> fucking horn balls that y'all have made us out to be. <laughs> but like the only reason that it's portrayed the way it is is because of like all of the lies that we're told about sex and relationships. It's like so upside down, you know? Mm-hmm. The truth is y'all are fucking horny as a motherfucker all the time, like 24-7. You even get turned on by like gorillas fucking gorillas. And it's just crazy. Like the truth behind all of this, when you actually study cells and like the realness, you know, is, is fucking basically the opposite of what we've been taught. Yeah, it is. It's complete opposite of what we've been taught. Um, But then uh, me working in biology, the biology realm and getting a master's or biology degree, it, it's a little bit different the way the body and the hormones act. Um, I think with women, you women are suppressed when they're on birth control, first off, because the hormones aren't natural. We're not talking about birth control, though. That's I know a, that's that we're not talking about birth control, but I'm just summar- summarizing it up. Um, but mainly it's because of just, that's just the way, like you were talking about how the predominant, matriarchy of women were the ones that screwed over men pretty much because of their sexuality but i do agree i mean we just don't there's studies i don't think i don't, I don't think it's, don't, don't think it's necessarily talk. we don't we don't we don't articulate we don't we don't emotionally state that we're we don't want to we don't want to admit to everybody that that's the way we are this is coming off, you know, with women, it's coming off as being slutty when you admit to that way. It's coming off as being um, promiscuous and slutty and, and dirty and it's different. Yeah, but it's women. like crabs in a bucket. That's kind of like my point. Like all like other women's judgment are what keep y'all from flourishing. Yeah. There's also competition there, too. In what in what sense? In the sense of that's just the way women are emotionally. There's competition emotionally. There's competition with the with seriously with looks. There's competition of of you know who's better than who for a man. A thousand percent. But so isn't that kind of what he's talking about with these ancient societies that you know had orgies and like that like it was like sexually you know it was the norm for everybody to basically have sex with everybody to reduce jealousy, to reduce those jealous feelings and to provide like a social cohesion among each other. Yeah. But now, nowadays that doesn't work that way. I don't think. 
only because we don't allow it to work that way because we, don't allow we it to work that way because we're because yeah. we're super judgy. Yeah, we're a little bit more domesticated than that too. But we've allowed ourselves to be domesticated. Yeah. Yeah. You don't have to be. It's a choice. I agree. So what's the solution? He even says that he doesn't really have one. He says, uh, we can strive to accept even what we cannot understand. One of the most important hopes we have for this book is to provoke the sorts of conversations that make it a bit easier for couples to make their way across this difficult emotional terrain together with a deeper, less judgmental understanding of the ancient roots of these inconvenient feelings and a more informed, mature approach to dealing with them. Other than that, we really have little helpful advice to offer. Every relationship is a constantly changing world that requires specific attention. Other than warning you to be wary of those who offer one-size-fits-all relationship advice, our best counsel echoes that of Polonius to Laertes and Hamlet. To thine own self be true, and it must follow, as the night the day, thou canst not then be false to any man or woman. So basically he says, just be real with yourself, and everything will fall into place. So I'd take that anyway. Um... But he doesn't really offer any solutions or proposed ways that we should, you know, social structures regarding, uh, you know, sexual relationships or, or this, this whole, you know, tribal, uh, communal, you know, parenting or uh, he offers, you know, a lot of evidence for what it, what it has been in the past and what's worked for us as a species. Um, but he doesn't really make any suggestions or present any solutions. What do you think? He shouldn't have to make any suggestions or solutions. We should, you know, like organically live our life the way that we want to live it. No, I know. But I'm saying, what are, what are your solutions personally? What do you mean, what are my solutions personally? Like, of course, like we can't make recommendations to others. And he's not making recommendations to others. But like, what are you going to do with this information? What are you gonna do with it? Um, probably have sex with a lot of different women. Yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> That's not what I'm into, so I wouldn't. <laughs> there's just there's just too much risk right there. <laughs> um. In what sense? In what sense of like what's back then they didn't have. STDs and all this other stuff going around. So there's there's no in the sense that how can you when you have a life, you don't have time to be with like four different guys. I, I don't see that ever happening because you don't have the time and you don't have the the you have to have the worry because I mean just because you go out with different people you don't know what they're like. You don't know what they expect. They might they might not have the same beliefs, definitely don't have the same beliefs as you. They definitely don't have the same focus. I mean, this is being, living the way this book dwells into is not normal. Um, 
I um, I would actually it, argue a thousand percent that the way we live well, is not normal, no, no, and the no, no, way no, no, he no, presents no. it is Listen a thousand percent normal. Can I talk? I have researched some of this stuff, and being in a promiscuous relationship with more than one person or more than two people, more than two people, the percentage rate is very low because you have a life to live, you work, all this other stuff. How can you dedicate? time to more than two people at once i don't see the same way that you dedicate time to more than one um, music artist the same way you dedicate time to more than one book the same way you dedicate time to more than one friend i just don't see it happen i don't see i don't see how that can happen (laughs) i don't i don't you know so you didn't read the book? I did read the book. I just don't see how you could value your time now in the present to being with more than two people, at least three people. I mean, eight. how does that work with, you know, when you, when you have a life where you work eight hours a day, you sleep, you you know, take care of family, everything, you know, it's just like, when do you have time to do the rest of the stuff, except maybe on the weekends, but I mean, even then, you know what I'm getting at? Nope. How? How do you not know I'm getting at? I don't. You're not being clear enough. No, I'm not being clear. Okay. So say I've got like three different guys I'm talking to right now, right? Or I'm hanging out with. When do I make time to make sure that I hang out with each one of them? I don't have the time to do that. You make time to do that. How? When you when you have your your own life that you're living. There's no, there's seriously no time. I mean, and it would be exhausting to me. I mean, that's your choice, but you could make, you could make it whatever time you wanted. You make time for friends, you make time for haircuts, you You make time time for grocery shopping. But then you can't, I mean, but then add, add having a relationship with your different people at once. It only becomes like time consuming and exhausting if it's not open. As long as everybody knows what's going on, there's nothing, there's no time lost. But I'm the type of person where I don't want to know if it's going to hurt me. I I mean, I'm, and I'd only be hurt if it was, there was an emotional attachment. But then again, I mean, I don't, I have a lot of time on my hands, but I'm not going to like walk into that. I'm super, I'm a super nervous person. I'm, I get super stressed out. I just can't, there's, there's no way I could be with like a thousand different people, you know? It's just me. Yeah. So. And I've been open about, I don't want to know, you know? Um, so. I don't think you should talk about those things. Um, but why not though? 
I mean, isn't it better to be honest about it than to like keep things from people? Yeah, but I mean, if they ask you, yeah, I'll tell you. But if if you're not going to ask, then I'm not going to tell you. Right. So. I don't, I mean, that's just the way I am. I mean, if somebody's going to ask you up front, yeah, I'll tell the truth, but I'm not going to so ask. So you them. prefer a don't ask, don't tell policy? <laughs> Sometimes I do, yeah. I mean, if it's going to be super emotional with somebody else, yeah, I want to know. But if it's not, I don't want to know. So, because I don't want to set myself up for that pain and everything. I mean, I don't, I don't want to set myself up for unnecessary suffering in my life. But isn't that unnecessary suffering only due to the fact that you have um, attached yourself to something that you need to let go of? Or that it's not benefiting you to attach yourself to. No, I don't think that's. I don't think that's true. No, I just don't like. I don't see the point in getting upset at the truth. You don't see the point in getting upset at the truth. Because you're emotionally attached to some people but why are you emotionally attached because it's just the way women are we're emotionally attached regardless no, it's i don't not. care yes no. yes yes it is with women i, I swear mm, then how come these pat how come these ancient societies didn't have this problem because they were in ancient times because they weren't brainwashed because they didn't lie to themselves about their own truth the truth of their own biology they didn't know any better now that is some fucking egotistical, narcissistic, <laughs> cultural, genocidal belief right there. That's the type of belief that makes it okay to genocide half the world, 99% of the indigenous people. They don't know any better. We can just kill them. No, I mean... Maybe you're the one that doesn't know any better. Maybe you're the problem. Maybe thinking like that is the problem. Thinking that somebody else doesn't know better and you do. Yeah, we're living in different times though. Yeah, because we slaughtered them. So that makes us better. No. Hmm. Maybe it's time we should learn from the people that we almost put out of existence altogether, but they've been surviving in the remote environments of the world that our lazy-ass ancestors, the colonizers, Said, you know, we don't even want this land. This land, we can't, we can't farm it. It's too swampy. It's too cold. It's too dry. We'll let the fucking savages live on this land. 
and then they still were able to do it. Man, they must not know any better. Mm. <laughs> they're able to live places we can't, but they're the ones that don't know any better. But they don't know how we live, though. They know how we live. We forced it on them. You forced it and on they them. Still, and they still, still fight to live the way they live because it was better. We're the dumbasses. We don't know any better. We get jealous over stupid shit. We get jealous over people acting naturally. And we call it cheating. Because we're treating relationships and life as a game. Rather than being real with ourselves. Yeah. I just want to like hear like your response to that. Like, I know I'm challenging you a little bit, but like, isn't that real? I mean, we're the ones that have created an insane asylum of a global society. And we killed the ones that were living peacefully on this earth. What are we going to do about it, though? I mean, you can't. Well, we can have conversations like this and not say really, really, really ignorant things such as they didn't yeah, know any can't. better. Yeah, but you can't act upon it. You yeah, you can. You can. Why How? not? That'd On a personal be... level, you can. You can act. You can act and behave the way they did instead of fucking behaving like sav the real savages and the real murderers and the real fucking evil people in the world. Because if you just make excuses and say, well, "What are we gonna do? We're gonna, we just all we have to all we can do is continue to act like the evil people act." That's not solving anything. On an individual level, I think we need to take the lessons from these people, from the indigenous, and start living the way they lived. It's the only way we can get better. We have to take responsibility ourselves as individuals to create the better world. It's not going to get created for us. Clearly, our parents and that generation is way too lost to create anything good. Yeah. We get screwed there. So, it, it's, so, <laughs> so we have to do it ourselves. And we can't make excuses and we can't say really, really, really uh, mind-blowingly ignorant things such as they don't know any better. We're the ones that don't know any better. I'm sorry, I'm going to harp on that. But yeah, we, that's that was way wrong. They know so much better than us. We're the ones that don't know any better. That's why we're jealous. That's why we have mental health issues. That's why we're anxious. That's why we're depressed. That's why we're lonely. It's why we live in the most fucked up, insane asylum world that we can even conceive of. And we say things like the indigenous didn't know any better. That's fucking hilarious. How do we make it they better? They knew much better. How do we make it better? It feels like you're in a jail cell, right? I, I feel like I'm in a jail cell. Because there's no belief. I think it starts with attitude and belief. If you tell yourself there's no way to get out, then there's no way to get out. There is no way. Not for me. What am I supposed to do? Live your truth. Speak your truth. Can't. Don't make excuses and say you can't when you can. But then you'd end up being, I don't know, hurting a lot of people. In what way? If I just upgraded my life and left. To live the life that I want to live? It's kind of greedy. 
How? I think because you're leaving the ones that, that you, you support and you love behind. You're leaving your tribe behind to go out and uproot your entire life. Not necessarily. You kind of are. Mm-mm. How? Like why? Like why are you necessitating that? If I wanted to live the life I wanted to live, I'd hurt a lot of people. How? Because I'd be uprooting my life and leaving them behind. If I like being very specific, my dream. I would leave Which my mother behind. I leave my family behind. Why? They're not going to come with me. They're not going to support what I think. They're probably thinking I'm psycho. Why? Because I'm doing what I want to do. Because <laughs> I'm weird. That's what I want to do. Okay, but why wouldn't they support that? Because they think I there's they think something's wrong with me. I'm sick, mental. That's why. Those just I like assumptions. Life. I wouldn't be living the life that they wanted. I'd be actually I'd be living the life they wanted, but I wouldn't be living the life that they thought was normal. So why are you living a life that other people want you to live anyway? Because I can't just I can't just leave them behind. Just why not? Because I can't. They're my family. They're my tribe. They're they're the only ones that love me. Is it really love if they don't let you live the life that you want to live? It's love. Because they care about me. No. Not if it's not love if they're gonna tell you how to live. That's not love. They're not telling me how to live, but the thing is if I do that, no they are. If you can't live the way you want to live because of other people's judgment, then they're telling then they're controlling your life. Am I wrong? No. And if they were truly your family, and they were truly there for you, wouldn't they support you doing the thing that you really wanted to do? No, because I've seen it before my family. Um, hmm? I've seen it before my family when somebody did that. And they were really worried about them. And they got them to change their ways. And that's what's wrong with having a big family and a southern family because it's all rooted. I don't know how to say this. It's all rooted into Christianity and the way you're supposed to live your life versus the way you want to live your life. Controlling other people. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, I, I don't. (laughs) <laughs> I am not happy right now with my life. I do not like working 24-7 and my work is super stressful and I don't think that we should be living our lives that way because you only get one life to live, you know? And then that's it. <laughs> and it's just, I, I'm getting burned out. I'm tired. I'm tired of it, you know? I'm tired of the, God, I mean, it, <laughs> I'm just tired of it. I'm I'm really tired of just living the life that I'm living right now. It's not what I want. 
So, but I can't. What would you prefer? Living away someplace where I can just enjoy my life. I just want to enjoy every single day, every second of every day. And it's like sucked out of me right now. You know, it's it's to the point where I'm in, I don't know. My, my life's been kind of strange. I mean, I went through a divorce. I went through an eight year relationship with somebody. I got out of it. Now I'm like on my own finally. And it's like, I want to do what I want to do, but it's just like, I'm being held back. And it's just, uh, Held back in what way? Go back to my mom. I mean, she's pretty much, I'm pretty much all she has left in the family. We have do we do have a big family, I'm gonna say that, but after my dad passed away, she kind of she kind of checked out. Um, so I've been there for her for quite a while, and it's getting to the point now where I I feel like I'm living my life for her, not me. So I don't know. But I, I still want to like be able to go out and travel and do things that I've never been able to do before because I was being controlled. You know, I was being controlled for 20 some years. So I want to be able to like get out and do things and travel and camp and do all this shit that I've been wanting to do for so many years, you know, and that's why I'm doing it now. And I, I am enjoying it, but it's just like, you know, sometimes when like a weekend comes and I don't have anything to do, I freak out. I get nervous because it's like, oh shit, what am I supposed to do this weekend? You know? So it's kind of like one of those things where I just constantly want to be doing something to keep my mind occupied of off of work, off of worrying about like, you know, what's going to happen in my life. Because I guess, you know, I'm like a huge planner. So if I don't have anything planned, say for like next week, I freak out because I know I'm going to like end up being spending my weekend and worrying about stuff for the next weekend. I, I just, that's just the way I am. I, I just, I don't know. Hmm. What about you? What's your story? In what? In what? In, in what way? What? Okay. What way are you enjoying yourself? And you're not. Um. I mean, I I do believe. Um. What a lot of what a lot of us believe, and that's that we're not supposed to be working forty hours a week, eighteen to sixty-five. Fifty to sixty hours a week. Paycheck, paycheck to paycheck just to die. Um, yeah. I think that there's something really, really, really wrong about the way that we live. And I think um, it personally, I do believe it's rooted in the agricultural revolution oh, yeah. or, or yeah. what has been deemed the agricultural revolution, which is actually the worst, uh, very possibly the worst event in human history. Um and I think in order to get back to a place where humans feel good about their place on earth, we need to basically do the opposite of what you said earlier and listen to the people that you said they don't know any better because we're the ones that don't know any better. And that's why we're unhappy. And the people that you said don't know any better are the ones that actually know 
much, 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 much better um, in basically every aspect of life, from economics to education to, um, you know, relationship with the land, relationship with plants, relationship with animals, um, literally every facet of life. These people know better than us. Um, so although I think you're an incredibly smart girl, and this has been a really awesome conversation, that one statement was like so incorrect, like the most possibly incorrect statement you could have ever said, because they actually know so much better than us that it's laughable for us to ever sniff the idea that they don't know any better. That's hilarious. Our ancestors, okay, our great great ancestors is what you're talking about. You're not talking about our ancestors today and age. You're talking about the bonobo. I'm talking about yeah. No, I'm talking about the bonobo. I'm talking about our human ancestors, and I'm talking about our indigenous brothers and sisters that are still alive with us today, because all of them share a similar worldview that is in damn near direct opposition to the worldview that has uh formed out of uh in, in effect um as an effect of the agricultural revolution mm -hmm. which is the root of all of our mental problems all of our social problems um yeah. basically all of our problems as a species which is a lot but it's all rooted in that and the move from agricultural, um, from uh, hunter-gatherer to agricultural. And there were small-scale agricultural societies um, prior to the agricultural revolution. I think the Ishmael trilogy spells this um, dynamic out a little bit clearer because, yes, there were societies that were, you know, doing subsistence farming, small-scale agricultural prior to the agricultural revolution. The difference between those societies and the societies that he calls totalitarian agriculturalists are that they still, um, well, first of all, they didn't have private property, but they still maintained a sense of foraging and hunting, so hunting and gathering, um, and food storage was still never a huge deal to them so yeah they grew what they grew they grew in uh, at a small scale and they basically ate it at harvest time uh, and they still hunted and gathered um but the post-agricultural revolution societies the totalitarian agriculturalists they're the ones that emphasize food storage animal husbandry so it's like livestock um and basically you know settling down and and, and you know owning land because um you're gonna farm it you're never gonna go anywhere you're settled you're civilized you know uh and these are all words that uh you know history is written by the winners so um even our language is skewed you know uh, the agricultural revolution you know it sounds like oh we, it was a revolution for the good you know but it's actually like the worst shit that ever happened <laughs> ever in our history yeah. so yeah. um language can be tricky in that way Yep, and that's why I like camping and going out and being in nature. I mean, I do it every day. I have to. 
or I'll go, I'll go crazy. It's like it, it recharges you, you know, it's because, like, it's an energy thing. You know, there, there's natural. also in, in, in doing um, things that are natural. It's like, yeah. you're proving the point of this whole conversation, like doing things that are well, natural, yeah. like having then, sex, like like you China, feel good. Uh-huh, it yeah. improves your mental yeah. health. It improves you the do. health of society. You're really good. <laughs> improving your own health. You are a part of society. So improving your health improves society's health. It's funny. I was reading something about China and they group take sex podcasts. probably improves the health of everybody in the group. I'm just saying. Yeah, it's great, isn't it? <laughs> um, no, I read something about like people in China they take forest baths where they go out like they at least spend like one to two hours a day out in the forest, you know. And it's it's kind of like trying to you know. I know that if I walk all day and I'm not, I never go outside for and rarely i always go outside but rarely if there's a day that i do not go outside and i stay inside all day long it's i'm miserable you know so it's like that's just how i've always been wired is that i need to be right after work I will, i'll go outside and sit on the deck for like half an hour to an hour i have to like have that time or take a break in between work to go take the dog on the wall you know on a walk or something i have to have that time to be outside because if not i'm like just frantic and I'm just nervous and it's just it's something that calms me down and that's why you know that's why like that's why every year I do I seriously every year I used to go camping like four times a year right and it would be very primitive and it would be very just it just recharges you and makes you feel amazing you know it's just when you're inside or you're cooped up in a car it's just not not the same so yep yeah but yeah if you want to go on the 28th let me know so i was thinking like maybe my next job um i was thinking i could be like a pussy doctor and just like charge like sexually frustrated women (laughs) (laughs) i think i would be good at that what do you think good luck at that one you don't think so? What do you I think? think? A lot... <laughs> I think there's a lot of women that could use my services. Good luck. <laughs> Why do you say that? Because I won't consent to doing something like that, I don't think. <laughs> Why not? Because there's free free uh free services out there. <laughs> yeah, but those free services are really low grade. <laughs> low quality that's why they're free the paid service is the premium right no i don't understand what you're you're talking about <laughs> you think somebody would seriously pay for that kind of stuff they do all the time yeah but really yeah Why would you pay for it though? Do what? Why would you pay for it though? Because you need it. You need some quality penis. There's a lot of women, especially in their 40s and 50s, that would be very willing. <laughs> oh, just for some quality penis. Stereotype me, right? <laughs> yeah. 
trying to find another occupation. <laughs> you can't put this in the podcast. Though. I can't be talking about my job on the podcast. You gotta cut. Uh, I'll cut out. a lot of that then. Yeah, please, because I'm not supposed to be talking about what I'm doing. <laughs> gotcha. Yeah, please don't put that up. Um, because I know. So yeah. Let's wrap up the podcast then. Okay. All right. Sorry. You're good. Um. So you don't think like the pussy doctor idea is not? I think that's a pretty good idea. There's a lot of 40, there's like so many 40 and 50 year old women that come through our work and they're like so flattered by me. Like, I'm so sure I could just be like, here's my number. And like, I charge $100 per session. (laughs) I could make a lot of money. I'm pretty sure. Because some of them are pretty rich. I don't know. It's a thought for sure. Yeah. How dirty do you think they are? I don't really, I don't think most people are as dirty as, like, the mainstream uh, media wants us to think. I don't know. I've got some friends that have some... STDs aren't even natural. I think that, that they were introduced by, like, intelligence agencies to try to pick, make people monogamous. Like, we have really dirty fucking entities out here that are trying to force monogamy onto a species that's not naturally monogamous and like the evidence is fucking the way we've lived for the last 10,000 years you know so where do you think HIV came from um probably a laboratory mm, you don't think it came from monkeys nah yeah. COVID, the COVID uh, virus is patented and it was in like 2015. Well, so I know. Yeah. I worked for that patent issue before myself. So um, yeah. Pretty sure yeah, all this shit but is. My just friends evil. got it. So it's kind of like, you know, I I I just now you can live with it. I don't and know. honestly, and honestly, here's my thing. But here's why? my thing when it comes to the STD argument. Um I would rather die from an STD than live without sex. Like, I'm going to be fucking until the day I die. I'm born to fuck. Just like the t-shirt from that guy in the book. (laughs) And given the sexual frustration among women in their 40s and 50s today because of all of these fucked up lies that they've been forced to believe from the time they were little about themselves and sex and men. Like, they're so frustrated, you know? Like, just a little bit of good penis will change their life for the better, you know? And I want to be that life changer for them. Okay. You think I'm the man for the job? I'm... I'm probably going to do it no matter what you say, but like, you kind of have, like, you have a little bit of insight into this, you know? Really? Do I? (laughs) (laughs) I mean, just saying, you could, you could, you could be the one that's like, yeah. And like, just you, just your cosign could make me a lot of money, you know? My cosign. Okay. Just you saying, yeah. You probably would be good at that. Chapel Hill approves, right? <laughs> Chapel Hill approved. <laughs> oh, Lord. Get like a little Tar Heel stamp. Put it on my business card. <laughs> I 
pussy doctor. Power Heel approved. <laughs> well, you know, Amazon does sell some uh, nice stuff, though. So. <laughs> yeah, but I just, you know, vibrators are like the real thing. Well, they do make real things, too. It's still not like the real thing with like a blood pumping through it energetic organic you'd be surprised chemi chemical makeup type shit going surprised. down <laughs> no nah, i would i would be surprised if there was like a sex robot out there that like had a human chemical makeup and like human dna in it and like pheromones in like control of its pheromones and AI? like ways to like AI would take away, would take away your job <laughs> yeah it would that now that would take away my job but that's yeah. <laughs> that's like i'm basically ai i'm super advanced ai like ai is not going to catch me i'm i'm its daddy you know what i'm saying like i'm super advanced ai hmm <laughs> 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 all right well signing off chapel hill approves on the pussy doctor career change coming up. <laughs> thank you for your co-sign chapel hill <laughs> sure and we're out <laughs> all right <laughs> peace and love bitch i ain't new to this out of town i don't need to pull me on me when i'm over around bitch i ain't new to this out of town i don't need shooters around me when i'm pulling out just know i'm tapped in Half of this rap shit is fictional, cap. The way I'm a lover, you think I'm connected. Can't hang with no stooges, my circle selective. Just know I'm good everywhere, it's apparent. I don't gotta suck in my shit when I wear it. Fuck is you doing? Where have you been? Let's compare it. Hey, your bitch let me hit off good marriage. She started acting toxic and I had to cut it. Thought I ain't have options, now I got a dozen. Hey, now keep them all at a distance. Hey, I can't let them wipe on my pivot. I don't move like I'm new here, feel like a resident. It's like I grew up here, I'm getting settled in. Wherever I'm stepping, bitch, I don't feel out of my element Ain't shit new, I move like I've been here before Yeah, do what you don't, I be doing the most uh, I ain't fit no portion, keep moving messy and bitch, I'm a boss